Thanks, Kim. <laughs> All right. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. Um, I want to just one more announcement I want to give. By the way, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors of Mariners. I, I want to um, give you one more announcement that Kim didn't mention, which is um, we have, our church has started having a conversation about the Holy Spirit. And I mean, not, not that sounds like we never talk about the Holy Spirit until like recently, but in other words to say, we've just kind of been more directive and more sort of intentional about that conversation, especially for our people. And uh, last week, if, um, you know, Mike Erie led us, our, our staff and some of our key volunteers at the Irvine campus in a conversation about the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, uh, I, I, you know, well, maybe you're not exactly like me, but I, I grew up with a huge love affair with, with Star Wars. And um, I, I remember when... Obi-Wan Kenobi described the force to Luke Skywalker. It's an energy field created by all living things. It binds us. It penetrates us. You know, this whole, like, I'm like, that sounds like the Holy Spirit. It's an it. Probably God created it to do things for us. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And I think I held on to that kind of idea of what the Holy Spirit was about until I was probably in college. I mean, really, up, even then, I was still like, the, the Holy Spirit was created by God to do things for him. And I don't think I realized that, um, you know, until later, later on, that the Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity, eternally existing, um, equal parts in creation, and yet unique among the Trinity. Just so, it's so those are things that I thought, and the Holy Spirit's most often better addressed as a he than an it. <laughs> and so if those are things that interest you, that you want to figure out a conversation about that, we had a really, really, I mean, kind of great time, I would say, about not only learning about, but also probably the greater time was responding. Um, we had a band, and we responded and prayed for each other, and it was a really cool night. If that's something you're interested in doing, we're going to have another conversation that's open to everybody, It'll be on this coming Wednesday at our Irvine campus in the community center. I think we have a slide. Do we not? Someone said we do. Do we not? Picture a slide on the screen that's not looking like me. But in the Irvine campus, there's a community center. We're going to have that conversation 7 and 9 o'clock on Wednesday. If none of what I just said, oh, there we go. <laughs> that's a really elaborate slide. Um, <laughs> if none of that really interests you at all, then just forget it. But if you're like, man, I'd love to hear about that and learn some more about some of that stuff that I may not have known, then please, please join us for that on the community center this Wednesday night. All right, as Kim said, we're in a series called You Are Here. And um, if, kind of as we look at the series, uh, we have a tendency as human beings to imagine that life would be better somewhere else over there, that the fullest possible life was probably behind us over there or somewhere out in the distance. And sometimes we have a tendency to neglect that God is at work in our very present life right now because we're constantly longing for something else. And so this is kind of what we're looking at. Last week we took a look at the notion of work, Mike talked about how it's a part of our emulating of God, that created in his image that part of what we do is we join him in creation, and that there is no separation between spiritual work and unspiritual work. All work is already, you know, rife with sort of spiritual weight. There's no unspiritual work, and so we talked about that. And this week we're going to keep on going. Before we do that, though, would you join me in a moment as we just pause and we pray, and that uh, we just kind of I don't know, I seek God in this moment. So let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are already at work in us here. In this moment, in these few minutes as we pray and as we hear from you and as we respond to you, God, would um, this time be marked different than the rest of our week? Would you allow us to be fully present in this place? Would you reveal to us what is in our heart? that we might be fully honest with you and that you, God, might do a work in us. So we pause, we wait, 
You exhale. Jesus, we ask that you would bring healing to those who are hurting, that you would challenge those of us who are in places of comfort, and that ultimately, God, we would know it is you who, are, who is at work in this place and not us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, if you need a Bible, some folks will have to hand you one. We'll be um, looking throughout the Bible in the course of this message. If you're someone who wants to just follow along on the screen, all the scripture we talk about will be on the screen. Um, if you want to follow along on your, you know, iPhone or whatever, that's great as well. But um, it's, So if you need a Bible, you like the idea of holding on to an actual physical Bible, turning pages, all that kind of stuff, love to get you one. If you don't have a Bible and want one, and, you know, you're handed one right now, you, are, you have my permission to steal it. I'm not going to steal a Bible. I'll steal other things, not a Bible. You're just not, you, you, it's no longer stealing. You can just take it. So if you can put that in your huge purse or your backpack, no one will ever know, all right? Um, unless it's not your purse or your backpack, then it's stealing. Okay. <laughs> this past week, I celebrated my, uh, my 13th anniversary. And um, you can clap. It's a big milestone. I know a lot of people don't think it is. Yeah, 13. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great, you know, it was a great time. But I, I want to show you that um, I got my wife a, a, a kind of a unique gift. I, um, she had been asking for a long time. She said, you know, I really, I really want to get something special. And so I said, okay, well, here you go. And so I got her a punching bag. <laughs> and the secret to marital bliss is allowing your wife to punch the tar out of something else. Um, but she was super excited. It was a great night. It was one of those, it was really fun. We had, you know, one of the things that's unique about a, an anniversary is that it's separated out from all the other days that you have in your life. And it's marked out by the fact that there is an event that commemorates it, but it's now different than every other day in the rest of your life. And, you know, it's one of those things where if, if you forget that it is not like all other days, guys, mainly, there is a wounding that happens. It doesn't matter how good at mowing the lawn you are, how faithful you are to dealing with your lame boss, or how, mu- how many teams you've coached with your kids, or all of those things, they're all really good. And your spouse, your wife would acknowledge those are all really good things, but if you forget the specialness of that particular day, something's not working. So I remembered. <laughs> Some of you were like, I just realized my anniversary's coming up, and I just want to say you're welcome. Uh, so you can get that all squ- squared away. But the uniqueness of the day says that it's different than all the other ones. And so it occupies a special place for the rest of our lives, for those of us who are married. The anniversary, that day, is set apart. It is unique among all other days. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Now, Exodus chapter 20 is sort of, this is what is known as the, the, the Ten Commandments. You might know it if you've like been to you know, school. You might know it as a Decalogue, which just means the Ten Words. Now, the Ten Commandments is a title given to these, these set of, of phrases, these, these sort of commands, that isn't necessary, it's not in the Hebrew. In fact, the Jewish people refer to this as the Ten Sayings, the Ten Words. And it, it, we, a lot of us who grew up in the church would say that our interpretation of how this sort of, these sort of came about is, and the way in which God sort of rescued the Jews out of Egypt was because of their obedience to these Ten Commandments. That, you know, they're sort of faithful to these things and that God came and rescued them. And that's why, because they're particularly righteous. Only that's not the case. The reason why God rescued these people, his people, from the captivity of slavery is because they were his people. It wasn't because they were particularly righteous. It was just because they belonged to him. And, and in fact, 
the law itself was given to these people, the Ten Commandments among all 600 plus other laws, was given to people who were already freed from slavery. God rescued them and then he gave to them Ten Commandments. You with me? Among other 600 other commandments or so. Does that make sense? Now, it's the Ten Commandments that marked God's people as his own people. In other words, they asked the question, so to speak, how are we supposed to live as free people? Here's how you live as free people. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, this is, in the Jewish understanding, the first commandment. Notice there is no command issued in the first commandment. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Can we put that on the screen? There we go. That's the commandment in the Jewish mind. There's no command issued there. In other words, what's being said here is that all of the other things which are about to be said are placed under the umbrella of, I'm God who brings you freedom. This is how it's supposed to work. Under the umbrella of liberation from slavery, this is what the ten sayings, the ten words are all about. Skip to verse 8. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Work for six days. This is part of the covenant as well, the sort of relationship between God and his people. Work for six days. This isn't just an endorsement of don't work. This is do work. Work hard. Six days. We talked about this last week. And then on the seventh day, this other day which is set apart, do not work. This is... I would say, a commandment to keep ourselves from doing something that we have a tendency to do, which is to worship work. Work is really good, but don't worship it. So God offers us this sort of moment, this ceasing. The word Sabbath, the word Shabbat, means to cease. And God says, don't worship your work. Cease. Verse verse 10, continuing on. On it. You shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Now what this is saying is it's, not, it's not, definitely not anti-work, the Sabbath, because you're supposed to work on six days. Instead what it is is anti-exploitation. On one day of the week, don't let anybody do anything, not you, not your kids, not your animals, not the foreigners living in your town, so you can't ask them to do the work that you're not supposed to do for you so you can get work done. This is about everybody sort of having a different sort of refreshment. If you look, if you want to skip forward in your Bible, if you're really good at doing this, just skip forward three chapters, Exodus 23, verse 12. Again, some further clarification on what the Sabbath is all about. It says this, six days to do your work. But on the seventh day, do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest. And so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you, I would underline this, may be refreshed. Everybody who lives in your house, even the donkey, you have to let rest for a little bit. Let them just hang out for a little. Don't make them do it. Don't make anybody do anything. Even the servants in your own home, don't make them do anything. It's just a time to cease. Let's get back to Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The first thing that is declared holy in all of creation is time. Amid everything that's created, there is 
one thing that is named holy, and it is time. Now, the writer here in Exodus is sort of cycling through the way in which God, the creation order, in which there's a pattern. Six days in which God saw things and he spoke things into being and he declared them good. This is the pattern. This is the way God does it, so on and so forth. And then on the seventh day, the pattern is broken. And in so doing, that day is unique among days. It's like an anniversary where it is different than all the other days. And so he says, honor it. It is holy It's different than the other days. Now remember, when God is speaking about creation, when we begin to see the creation narrative unfold, you have human beings placed at the center of creation to live as God's image bearers into creation, into the world. And what they do is they work on six days, and then what they're to do is also to rest just like God on the seventh day. Sabbath is unique among all the days. And anyone who would hold it to be special would also appear to be unique or different, too. Turn to Isaiah 56, if you would. Now, while you're doing that, would you agree, just by show of Isaiah 56, would you agree, by show of hands, that we live in a world in which people are constantly tired, overworked, exhausted, busy, wondering why they are snappy at their friends and not having enough patience or energy for anybody because they're so tired? Okay, yes, everybody agrees. Some people even verbally acknowledge with a yes. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, welcome to South Orange County. This is kind of the way we live out here, and so I don't know where you're from. Hopefully you're enjoying your Memorial Day weekend with us, but we're busy. We don't have time for you. Sorry about that. (laughs) When was the last time you asked someone how they were doing, and they said, you know what? I just feel refreshed and full. I feel like everybody in my family gets my best feel like I have margin for friendships and relationships. I feel like I have, I feel like I, I'm just rested. I feel like everybody gets my best. <laughs> if you talk to that person and you believe them, and I'm just going to speak for everybody. I'm, this is what I would think. I'm not sure this is you, but I would hate them with a ravenous envy. I mean, I would just, if they're really, if they're really being honest. Now, because even if, because I know even if I felt like that, I would lie. Uh, well, I feel pretty good, but you know. A lot of stuff I still got to do and, you know, work is grinding me down. I mean, I would just figure out a way to sort of normalize my experience of peace because that's not normal. Everybody is supposed to be tired all the time. And if you don't feel tired all the time, you probably, there's probably something wrong with you. Like, you probably are a little lazy. You have margin in your life? Why don't you fill it with something? Okay. Welcome to South Orange County. I mean, whatever it is, right? Now, the question for us, though, is this. Even though we despise the person who talks about their rest, isn't there so much of us that goes, wouldn't it be great to be able to have a little bit more balance? To be able to have margin? To be able to say, I'm refreshed? Now we know as soon as we start talking like that, we're going to be put on the, on the shelf. We're going to be instantly sort of ostracized. Because people who are refreshed, people who stop and live with a little bit of margin in their lives, occupy a unique space in our society and they live Differently, it is to say, I don't live by the systems and powers of this world. I live by another system. One that doesn't always grind me down. Isaiah 56, 1 through 3. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this. The person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it. And keeps their hands from doing any evil. 
Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom. Okay, just want to, just, that'll be a fun conversation at brunch today. Just go ahead and have that conversation. But just go with that. Now, I have to know some things that's happening in the book of Isaiah. There is, uh, what's happening at this time is the, what's called, historians call it the diaspora, which means that there is a lot of uh, invading armies that have come in and booted the, the, the Jewish people out of their homeland. And so they're scattered throughout all of the Mediterranean, all of the ancient world. Now, you have to know in the, in, the, in the Jewish mind, there's a geographical center of holiness. And radiating out from that center is decreasing degrees of holiness. In other words, there's a, there's a place in the temple in Jerusalem that is called, a very clever title, it's called by two names, the most holy place, in case you weren't sure, or the holy of holies. Then there's the holy place. I know, clever. And then there's this sort of, the court of the Jewish men, the temple, and the court of the Jewish men, the Jewish women. Then there's the, the convert, the place where the converts can hang out. And then there's the rest of the sort of world, basically, the Gentiles, the foreigners, the people who don't belong in the temple. You can do this. You can also see this sort of laid out even on a bigger geographical scale. If you look in the, you don't have to turn your Bible there. I'm not going to spend time there. But in the first chapter of Acts, you have Jesus sending out his disciples from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the outermost parts of the earth. There's this geographical sort of center. Now, when, when the geography is sort of shattered, when their people are sort of scattered throughout the Mediterranean, there's a question that sort of emerges. Who is a true Jew? What does it mean to be a whole, real, true Jew? And so people would have sort of the delineations among people, not just geography. So the most holy person would be the high priest, then the priests, then the Levites, then the sort of, you kind of go on and on tell these people to the farthest rung you get are the foreigners, the Gentiles, and people who have what we would call reproductive or sexual maladies, like eunuchs. And these people have no right to be a part of God's people, except you begin to see this picture here in Isaiah. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, God will surely exclude me, and no eunuch declare I'm a dry tree. There's something else going on here. Uh, Verse 4. Let's see what it says. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Keep on going. Verse 6. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants and who all, all who keep my Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. House of prayer is another word for the temple. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, which means that their, their ability to worship in the temple, these excluded people, is now permitted. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, the primary marker for these people who have been broken from the world, who have already been ostracized by Jewish community, God's now saying, if they follow me, and foremost among their following, specifically set apart in this sort of description here, is that they follow and adhere to the Sabbath, they keep this sort of ritual of ceasing, then they'll belong to me. The peculiar marker for people who belong to God is their ability to cease, to stop, to say, I'm not. Addicted to my work. I am not a member of the system. I'm not subject to the systems and powers of this world which tell me to keep going no matter what. The means of inclusion in the book of Isaiah into the biblical community, the covenant community who belongs to God, are people who say, I will stop. 
I will cease on the Lord's behalf. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Now, history would tell us human beings have a tendency to turn things that are great gifts intended for our refreshment or other things into things that are a burden or a means of exclusion. You see this all the time with like your kids with toys. Perhaps you've had this, maybe you are familiar with this sort of phenomenon. My daughter, um, well, she has a bunch of friends and they all got a particular kind of doll. And my mother-in-law bought her a doll that was not exactly the same. And all of her friends went, good for you that you got the doll. It's not the same as ours. You don't get to hang out with us. I mean, it was like this. You know, this is the tragedy of like doll exclusion. I mean, you know, you get the idea here. All of those kids got a doll as a gift and immediately they turned it into a way to exclude someone else. This is our own situation. Now, in the, in the Jewish mind, there are 39 modes of work that are prohibited on the Sabbath. I'm going to read all of them to you in no particular order. Here they are. Be careful. Planting, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, sorting, grinding, sifting, kneading, cooking, shearing, scouring, beating, dyeing, which is like coloring us, not like dying. You're allowed to die on the Sabbath. <laughs> Spinning, warping. Making two loops. Those of you who tied your shoes. <laughs> Weaving. Separating two threads. Tying. Untying. Sewing. Tearing. Trapping. Slaughtering. Flaying. Curing. Smoothing. Scoring. Measured cutting. Writing. Erasing. Building. Demolition. Extinguishing a fire. Igniting a fire. Applying the finishing touch. Transferring between domains. Anybody? Okay, now. At the time of Jesus, people are super concerned with people who would violate the 39 modes of work which came about during the sort of time of the temple and the, and the tabernacle construction. So these are all the modes they decided. You just can't do this stuff. Like separating a thread or making two loops or whatever, right? So now, here's what happens in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is walking along. It's in verse 23 is where we'll start. Here's what's going on. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain, which is, there's a provision for that in Deuteronomy 23. Verse 24, the, the Pharisees said to them, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? They're harvesting, they're reaping. We know they're reaping. They're probably making two loops out there too. We know it, they're making two loops, I can tell. <laughs> and you can sense the sort of overwhelming freedom the Pharisees want Jesus and his disciples to feel in this. Look at the wonderful gift of the Sabbath, the means of inclusion. They're probably reaping out there. Untying some thread, extinguishing a fire. I mean, you know, who no, knows, right? Are you with me? What's going on here? Verse, uh, let's see. Oh, they, well, I would say this. There's no good Jew who is really wanting to be extra righteous who would even dare pick the grains off the, the head of grain off of these wheat tares, whatever they are. And now you have this sort of means of exclusion on the Sabbath. Verse 25. He answered, meaning Jesus. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and, and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, sometimes called the showbread or the bread of presence, which is lawful for only priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, there's this, I don't have a lot, there's a whole other message that's just in that right there. But I just want to give you a couple things of what's going on here, why this is super important. First, there's this bread that's part of the, the, the worshiping sort of community. What you do is you'd make this bread, and it was part of the altar that the, that the Levites, the priests, would eat, that people keep the temple clean. And then... Uh, at one point, David, who's the most beloved king of all of Israel, Jesus identifies himself with that king, which is the first thing you just want to be really careful what you're doing right there with identifying. I'm kind of like David, the king, because that's a very subversive comment. 
And then he, he goes on, Jesus goes on to sort of speak a little further. And he begins to sort of say, I'm operating with a level of authority over two of the most important symbols in all of Judaism. The temple and the Sabbath. I'm kind of like the King David, and I'm operating with a level of authority over the, the temple itself and the Sabbath. Now, this is where people get a little upset about Jesus. Because he's trying to sort of undo what people had messed up a little bit here. Keep on reading. Verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath, as we talked about before, is made so that even the donkey could be refreshed. That all of us would be refreshed on the Sabbath. It is not intended to be a burden on people. Keep on going. Verse 28. So the Son of Man, the Son of Man is a title Jesus often gives for himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, there's nothing so sacred that it's not underneath my authority, Jesus' authority. And he says, you guys have made the Sabbath a way to exclude people. And yet we look at the book of Isaiah, the Sabbath is a way in which people are included. The way in which they're brought in to be a part of this covenant community. And it is intended to refresh people. The Sabbath is a gift to liberate people from being ground down into dust. The Sabbath is an expression of intimacy with God. It is a breaking from the systems and powers of this world. Some of you noticed when we were, when we were singing earlier, there was a, about a 10 second break between a few of the songs. And some of us thought, oh my gosh, the wheels have come off. Do they not know what happened? Are the tech people asleep in the booth? Do they know? There's 10 seconds of silence in here. We don't have the normal sort of constant stream of noise going on between the songs. Are they aware of what's going on? Something has happened. There are 10 seconds of silence in here. I came here to sing and there's silence. What am I going to do? You know what they call that in radio and television? Anybody? Dead air. When nothing is spoken, when there's no sound produced, it is called dead air. And we wonder why we panic a little bit. Someone fell asleep back there. Something happened up there. What, is there a power outage? A circuit, but someone solved this problem because there's 10 seconds of silence. Remember when you were, maybe you're still in this phase of your life where you're dating people. Remember when you're dating and so the way that you could sort of gauge whether or not a date was sort of successful was by the amount or the sort of the, the non-existence of awkward silence. Like, how was your date? Well, it was good, but, you know, we just ran out of stuff to say. It was like, it was so awkward. We just stared and ate our food. It was, it was terrible. It was so awkward. There was no talk. There was no noise. Now, I, like I said, I just celebrated my 13th anniversary. And... I, we had an event, like I was saying, we had this, this event, it was Wednesday, it was the, the event we had on Holy Spirit, so I surprised my wife earlier that day with a punching bag, which is great, I'm already like kind of, she didn't think I would do anything, so that was kind of awesome, and then I, we come out, she thought I was going to be home at 10 o'clock, and you know, I, you know, just be like, hey, it was great, you know, yeehaw, but I'd already kind of made some serious points with the, the punching bag, so I called a favor, my, um, a kid in my son's class, her dad is a manager at a really great restaurant in Newport Beach. And I said, hey, can I come by and pick up my wife's favorite dessert? He's like, yeah, what time do you want to pick up? I'm like, probably about nine something. He's like, okay. So he gets it all ready, and I go to the restaurant, pick it up, and he kind of gives me the whole, here's how you prepare it. You know, you, here's the thing. You're going to put it in the microwave for 35 seconds, not more. I'm 
okay. Not 36, right? So 30, 35 seconds in the microwave. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take this ice cream, put it right here. You're going to drizzle it in this way with this kind of spoon. And then you're going to put the fruit this way. And, and I was like, okay, I think I got it. And so I took it home. Amanda's upstairs. She's putting the kids to bed. And she comes downstairs. She's all tired. And, and I walk to the kitchen. And the thing's already in the microwave. I just, you know, press start. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. I was just, you know, you just want you to sit down for a second. So she sits down. And I kind of, you know, I, pu- I put it all together just as my friend Miguel had kind of explained me to do. And so I've made the whole, the drizzle and the fruit and whatever else. And this is her favorite. She's like, that smells really good. What is it? And I go, oh, nothing. I just, you know, whatever. I kind of, and I, I come over to the couch and sit down with her. And she's like, oh, is this what, is this what, is this what it, I'm like, it is. And if she was like, I mean, it was just like, I'm awesome. I mean, I just win. So, punching bag, cake. Okay, just note to self. So, we eat this cake. We're talking. Sometimes we're not talking while we're eating the cake. We're just hanging out together on the couch. And nobody the next day, after knowing this plan, said, was, it, was there a lot of like awkward silence? Did you guys have everything? Did you guys have things to talk about? Could you say that maybe after 13 years of marriage, that the silence which was there was an indicator of a kind of intimacy as opposed to a kind of sort of disruption in that intimacy? That there was a level of closeness which may have been expressed in the not speaking as much as there ever would have been in the speaking. We know this to be true in other, on the other end of the spectrum on things that aren't celebration. When people have really tough times, we always advise this to each other, but we have a hard time accepting this advice. When someone's really hurting, they're in the hospital, they're really sick, or they go through an, a terrible loss. And we tell people, you know, just go there and be there, and your presence alone will be enough to communicate that you care. You make that time sacred just by you being there in your presence. And yet when we have to go, we always, sort of take a, we always kind of hesitate a little bit. What am I supposed to say to them? What am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, I, I want to go there and be with them, but I don't know what to say. And we're always confronted when we walk into a situation where there's pain and suffering, where we have to go, I don't have a way to make this smooth. You know, I'm supposed to say something and fill the sort of empty space here. And yet our very presence alone in the quiet, the just being there, is an expression of the holiness of that moment, the sacredness of that moment. Now, we have questions about what we're supposed to do with this whole Sabbath thing. What am I supposed to do or not do? How am I supposed to be there? In light of sort of Jesus' conversation with the, the Pharisees, we do not want to create another list of 39 things. Our intention is not to start policing each other. I saw you making two loops yesterday, last you know, you know, Sunday or whatever, Saturday. I knew it. You're a loop maker. You know, whatever. You know, like... Our intent is not to police each other in this at all. But I want to ask you the question, where is time held sacred in your life where you cease, where you do nothing on purpose to break yourself from the pattern of this world, to, to belong to God? For those of you who work an eight to five job, when you get home on Friday, do you think to yourself, man, it's great I'm home because now I can fire up the laptop and do the work from at home while I'm watching TV shows with my family and kids. Like, this is so I can answer emails and catch up on all the work I didn't get to today. Some of you are like, I don't use a laptop. Okay, your mobile phone. Do you sneak away and try to answer emails really quickly so that you can kind of catch up? Is there a time in which you go, when I'm not working, I'm not working? For some of you who are moms of little kids, 
can I just say, <laughs> with as much humility as I can muster, I get it. I have little kids, and my, my, my wife's a stay-at-home mom, and I know how tired she is. And I know that there are demands upon her. There is a constant stream of yelling and screaming and holding and pulling and disciplining and giving timeouts and, you know, cleaning up crazy. Ma- I just, I, I get it. And you're hearing me going, that's great. You want to rest. That's really great. Tell me to get a rest. That's really wonderful. Come to my house. I'll get a rest. You babysit. <laughs> I get it. So I, this is, again, why you don't want to make this a policing the legality of what's supposed to happen. On, I just don't want to make it like that. But I would say this, when you're driving and the miracle happens, when one or a few of your kids are totally asleep in the car, and it is a miracle moment, I just know that I know this from experience, do you say at that moment, I will not turn the radio on perhaps, I won't try to set up play dates, I won't try to solve problems, I won't try to sort out all the issues with other people, maybe just for a few moments. If it's driving on Marguerite from Oso to Crown Valley, whatever it is that you go, that's where I get quiet. That's where I get stillness. That's where I cease. Maybe that's enough. For some of you who are students, uh, I found that students have more time than they think that they do. I remember when I was, at a, I was thinking back in my own college years, this is, when, this is when video games came out, like really started to take their next step. And then Nintendo 64 came out then when I was, I think I was a sophomore or junior in college. And uh, there was a game that came out. Some of you are old enough to know this. It was a game, it was a James Bond game called GoldenEye. And yeah, some of you lost a lot of sleep in that game. And there is, here's what would happen. It was the first game where you could play four guys at the, at the same time on the, you know, the same screen. And I remember, again, this is applying mostly to guys. I know this isn't always, this is as much to women. But I know what would happen is, the guys, if, if I ask guys right now, what's a way you kind of relax, you, you kind of take a break, because oh, I play video games, I just, I just, you know, just kind of veg out, play video games. And I would say this, and again, I'm not trying to create a morality against video games. It's not what I'm doing. But I would say, I've seen guys who have played five and six hours straight of video games, <laughs> and they do not look refreshed after that <laughs> experience. <laughs> what time did you guys stop playing? About 3 a.m. It's really good. Oh, uh, sure. Good call. I mean, you know, so this is, again, I'm not suggesting that you should not play video games. I'm just saying... Be aware of what kind of time you hold sacred when you cease to do things. For me, I have a very difficult time not mentally still working when work is sort of supposed to be stopped. My day's off. My day off is Monday. It's not the same day off as my kids. My kids are off on the weekends. When I'm with them, as time gets closer and closer to having to teach a message, I'm getting closer and closer to checking out from them entirely. And it is really hard for me to go, I'm here with you guys because I'm actually preparing my message in my head what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say these things and how I'm going to address certain things. And all of a sudden, I've already checked out. And so I'm no longer present. To honor the Sabbath is not to escape into some other place, to escape somewhere else, to do more work, to be distracted. My kids watch a show. Some of you have seen the show. It's a brilliant cartoon called Phineas and Ferb. Those of you who laugh have kids. Those of you who are not laughing, no idea what I'm talking about. Here's the premise of the show. These two stepbrothers get together, and they, every, every day, it's, it takes place in summer vacation, every day they invent something that's impossible and dangerous. And their teenage sister, Candace, is constantly trying to get them in trouble. And invariably, after these kids construct something, and Candace has told their mom, come home and check it out, it's dangerous, you have to get them in trouble. Invariably, at the last second, somehow... Through a series of coincidences, 
everything will be cleaned up, there will be no problem. It's kind of the cat in the hat sort of scenario where nothing has gone wrong. You know, mom gets home and sees it and then Candace looks like an idiot. Now, one particular episode, Phineas and Ferb decide to help their friend with his science project and they build a portal to Mars. Like, here's this science project. He's gonna just, you can just walk through it and end up on the surface of Mars. And uh, Candace, as it were, as you'd have, you know, sort of the situation would have it, she falls through the portal and ends up in Mars. And the irony is that she actually loves being there, but they have to go rescue her and bring her back home through the portal again. Now, we imagine a time in which there would be a way in which we could teleport ourselves to a faraway place. Exactly, just like with a scream and a yell. But we would teleport ourselves to a faraway place where we could disappear from here and go there. And, and if the essence of the series is anything about you are here, the Sabbath is probably the most critical sort of explaining that. And every one of us in our lives, more than likely, has a way to disappear from here and go to there. And not just to one place, to Mars. It is to go anywhere we choose. Anytime we get bored, anytime we feel like we have some work to catch up on, anytime we need to connect with someone else because we can't stand the stillness, we just pull out a portal and we disappear. We could go anywhere. It doesn't matter where we are now. We could go somewhere else. We never have to deal with stillness or silence or quiet because we can just fill it instantly with a movie. We can stream it live on Netflix. We can watch ESPN games. We can, we can, we can connect with friends. We can play a video game. We can just simply disappear from this place easily. Years ago, I took a bunch of students on a trip. I was a high school pastor. I took some high school students on a trip. And it was a you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday trip. And what we did is we said, on day one, we said, we're going to take away your phones and your watches. And you should have seen the panic that overcame the people's faces. These high school kids, the high, especially, I mean, this is, I mean, just high school kids in general, but particularly the girls, were just like, how will I, how will I breathe? <laughs> We're in the mountains anyways. I mean, how am I going to get oxygen? It was just like, trust, you'll be okay. I'm, I'm training CPR, uh, and, you know, we'll be all right. So there's this, like, handing over of the cell phones, like, like I mean, we were, we were, like, their lifeblood was going to be taken away from them. And over the course of the first night, there was a lot of, like, we hate this. This is terrible. This is the worst trip ever. This is so stupid. We hate all these guys. You know, and it was like, okay, man, we're kind of going, was this a mistake? Because we didn't want to have hatred be the result of this. And we get to the beginning of the, the first days on Saturday. You start to see students begin to loosen up to not having to have, be bound to constantly being connected to everything. And what ended up happening is, at the time in between times, not during the scheduled sort of quote-unquote chapel time or worship time or whatever it was, and not during the sort of nature hike where we talked about God's creation or whatever else it was, in the in-between times, during the free time, Students would be by themselves and they would start having the surge of emotion. They would start crying. And of course, being sort of a capable you know, youth pastor, it was like, why are you guys crying? <laughs> well, who did this? What happened to you? And it was just sort of this, we need to solve this problem. We scheduled emotional time from 7 to 9 p.m. tonight, but not, <laughs> not now. And they'd say, I don't know. And as we would talk to the students more often than not, what they would say is, in all of the breaking from everything else, there became some space for God. I became more aware of myself, and I became more aware of what God wanted to do in me when I wasn't always constantly running, when I ceased, when I stopped, when the portal was closed. Now, 
in a minute, I'm going to invite you to shut down the portal. Some of you are about to leave the room. I know. You're thinking, that's fun for the high school students, but for me, I, I can, I'm a really important person. I have lots of important things, and people need to get a hold of me. Now, I'm going to ask you to shut off your phone, not like you do in a movie, not like a lot of us do on the, on the airplane, where it's like, turn your electronic devices off. Yep, the screen's off. <laughs> it's off. You know, whatever. I'm going to ask you to turn it fully off. Now, here's what's going to happen. In that time, your house could burn down. Your cat could get stuck in the neighbor's dryer vent next door. Your, you know, a volcano could erupt again in Iceland. Your favorite team could score a run. Someone could update their Facebook status to tell you about a sandwich that they just ate that was so awesome. Someone could tweet about a really cute thing their kid said, and you will miss it. It will not be live for you. I just want you to be fully aware of the terror that will, that's around this moment for you. Now, before we do this, I want you to consider what it looks like to have portal closure. A few things. First is this. Last night, someone said, I was talking to someone who said, my friend looked at me and said, I'm not doing it. If he asked me to do it, I'm not doing it. And he goes, I'm calling you out if you don't do it. So she was like, she just was, it was kind of embarrassment or not be connected. She chose, not, she chose that the, the being embarrassed was a more serious thing. So she turned off her phone. Here's a couple of things to consider. Last night, we gave people like an on-ramp with some music into the quiet. We're not going to do that with you guys because you're a high-functioning group. Okay? You do not need an on-ramp into the quiet. You need the air conditioning, which is now on. The object of this time is ceasing. It is not to sort of do other things. There will not be any guided questions on the screen. There won't be uh, things you're supposed to index in your life that you're supposed to do. Here are a couple experiences people have had in this time. Some of you will experience profound anger. I came here to hear a message and sing some songs. And there is neither happening right now. What are we doing here? If that guy was better, he'd fill the time with some more words. But he's not talking right now, so this is ridiculous. That might be you. Some of you might panic. Like the person I was talking about last night, who was like, I'm not doing it. I, don't, I can't do that. I'm not turning my phone off. People, I, people need to get a hold of me at every moment of every second of every day. Okay, this is new territory for you. You will live. I promise there will be sufficient oxygen in the room for you to breathe. Some of you, in the quietness, will start going through your mental to-do list. Well, we have a Memorial Day par- barbecue, and Susan's bringing the hot dogs, and I need to get some cups. And I know Jennifer said she was going to bring Cokes, but I, need to, I, I can't trust her. I mean, you know, those are the kind of... <laughs> Sorry, Jennifer. I, I'm sure you're a really reliable person. <laughs> but in the time of the quietness, most of us who are driven to a high degree of efficiency will think, thank goodness there's quiet. Now I can organize my thoughts. Do not try to make a to-do list in this time. Some of you will experience emotion. It will come to the surface in the deep pauses in our life, which are so incredibly rare. There will be emotion. In the stillness is when God tends to work in us. It may happen for you. It might be emotional. Some of you because you are so overworked, might actually fall asleep. And I just want to let you know, that is so okay. There will be no judgment on you if you fall asleep because you are the essence of, I'm not doing anything. (laughs) This is me ceasing. I can prove to you how much I'm not doing stuff because I'm tired. That's okay, all right? That's totally okay. That's what you needed. 
That's a, remember, the Sabbath is a means of your refreshment. It is created for you to be refreshed so that you are not ground down. Are you with me? Now, join me. Take out your phone. Some of you, don't fake it. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn off the screen and turn, put it on mute. <laughs> Everyone will know. Just kidding, it's not legalism. But here, here's what I want you to do. Hold your power button down until you get to something that looks like that. You can't really see it on, my, on the screen there. You can, it's hard for me to, there you go. That screen right there and turn it off. You are now cut off from the rest of the world for a few moments and you will live. Would you pray with me? We will pray into this time and don't watch. If you think you're going to watch like the time, take your watch off and put it in your pocket too. Like how much longer are we going to do this? Okay. <laughs> so let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that we are busy people. We acknowledge that we are exhausted, that we have no margin, that we have found rest to be so difficult to find. And so for these these next few moments, Lord, we stop, we cease. We open ourselves up to what you would say to us, We commit to not filling it with all kinds of other things. Would you give to us refreshment and rest? And may it be a sample of what you intend to do with the rest of our lives, Lord. This time we dedicate to you. We set it apart, remembering it as holy. In your name, Jesus, we give to you this silence.